we've lost another legend, a songwriter, a voice, an icon. Rick Ocasek has passed away at the age of 75. As Rob Sheffield wrote in his Rolling Stone obituary, he was the spirit of Buddy Holly in the body and mind of Mr. Spock. Damn you, Rob Sheffield. That's uh, it's damn near perfect. It's poetry. It's just, it's f-ing poetry is what it is. And I hate him for it. Rick Okasik was found dead in his apartment by his wife, Paulina Porskova, on the morning of September 15th. I know this because Brad texted me that night. Yeah. We had just recorded a podcast about the forgotten hits of 1983 and we had talked about rick's music yeah you know i'm winding down the night's over we, we, we did a good podcast i feel really strong about it and then i get it, it, there's a telltale sign when you text me it's usually two texts that come like right on top of each other and two in the chest and one in the head that's how i operate yeah so i got that and i'm like oh, this is probably not good news and it just said Rick Ocasek is dead. We called each other and we talked about it and we, I mean, the, the stun yeah. took forever to wear off. And then the practical side kicked in about well, what do we do with the show that we just did? Right. I mean, do we, do we scrap it and do a memorial show? And you were smart. You said, no, let, let's keep the show we have. It's, um, it's a good show. It's a good- I hate to throw away good material, but we put an intro on it. And let's come back a few weeks later after it's sunk in and, and see if we can't bring a little bit more context to it. Yeah. So, so that's what we're going to try to do today. I found out super fan, friend of the pod, friend of the family, Steve Ramos texted me and he was kind of freaking out because he and I had been texting like maybe three days earlier and I was telling him, hey, you ought to check out this, you know, some of his solo stuff. And he had never heard any of Okasek's solo work. So he and I had been texting about it. He's like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. And then Sunday night, he texts me, Rick Okasek passed away. And I just, I just went cold. I don't think I've quite processed it yet. And it's been a few weeks. I remember the first thing I was stunned by was Rick Okasek was 75 years old. Yeah. He was He's, not a young man when the cars made it big. Turns out he had been recovering from surgery. His wife, Paulina, had come by his apartment to check on him and brought him his morning coffee and discovered that he had passed away sometime in the night. I believe the official cause of death was cardiovascular disease with uh, pulmonary emphysema as a contributing factor. And now he's gone. Brad, I know you were really hard hit by this. What what did the Cars music mean to you when you were growing up in the 80s? Well, I started thinking about it a lot. And as I've, all I've been doing is listening to the Cars for the last two weeks. But Shake It Up was the first cassette I ever bought. 
that was, you know, my first, I'm sure it wasn't a Walkman because who had that kind of money at the time, but it, that was the first tape right. that I had on my tape player that I just listened to over and over and over again. And, you, you know, you, you love it, and but you don't, somehow you don't realize how good it really is because you haven't listened to a lot of other stuff. But that album has such a, such a place in, in my heart, in my mind, just, I just, ah, it, it just occupies that spot. It's a, it's like first love in some ways. And I didn't really realize how big a deal that that, you know, that that music was, how much of a, a bridge that the cars were from rock and roll into new wave at the time, you know, now I can see those things and I kind of understand that. But my reaction to the music then and the news that I got two weeks ago was much the same. It was just this visceral connection to it. Yeah. I, I think when we did a podcast a few years ago, we, we did a series about music that started the eighties music that set the tone for the eighties mm -hmm. and the cars were that transition band for me. They were the band that finally released my my preteen grip on bands like Kiss and Sticks. It was the first time that I'd heard the 80s sound. I still remember it was their first album that I heard it, which I mean to this day I know their first album. Every every note, every word. It was a friend of mine who lived two streets away. And I, I, I can't I can't name check a single person that I grew up with in that neighborhood, even though I lived there for give or take 12 years. David Goodfield was his name. And <laughs> David, we know you're listening, David. Get in, <laughs> get in touch, please get in touch. I would love to talk to David again. I, I would love to thank him because before I met him, I was wearing the wrong clothes with the wrong haircut and the wrong glasses. You should have been in the cars. And listening, <laughs> and listening to the wrong music. He's the guy who herded this nerd to the gap, you know, and buy your clothes here. Maybe get rid of the saddle shoes, <laughs> yeah. dude. And and he was the one who put on the cars. And I just remember, you know, it's like yesterday there was no electricity and today there is. That That's how big it was for me. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to see him live? I, I never did. And I kind of avoided it because they had have a reputation for, uh, you know, not being a really dynamic band. You know, in person, everybody said, well, they hit their spots, but that wasn't that much, you know, more than just listening to the music live. And so friend of the pod, Dean Draper, he had posted a ticket stub from 1979. Here's a guy who kept all his ticket stubs. Kind of hate him for that. Uh, and <laughs> because it's, it's a great collection and he remembers every oh, story. Yeah. And so he posted a, a story about how he saw them in 1979. And I'm like, Dean, you got to write that up and send it in to us. Cause, and I, and I tried not to like... I didn't ask him any questions like, you know, were they just stiff as boards? What was it like? I just tell me what it was like. You know, give me your Dean's eye view. This is what he wrote us. So this is Dean Draper's account of seeing the cars for the very first time in 1979. Dean writes, I've seen the cars perform three times, but the first time in 1979 was the most memorable. It was at Heck Edmondson Pavilion at the University of Washington campus home of UW basketball. At the time, it was just a glorified high school gym, a pretty small venue. I still don't know how I convinced my parents to let a 15-year-old go by himself to a concert. <laughs> what could happen? I hear you, Dean. <laughs> yeah. My first impression was of the fashion of the crowd. There were a lot of girls in miniskirts, leather jackets, and just lots of red and black. 
The guys were in black skinny jeans and striped black and white shirts. Nobody at my school dressed like this. And the band, they looked the same. Benjamin Orr was wearing black beetle boots, red pants, a white button-up, and a black tie with a black leather vest. Rick wore black leather pants, a white button-up, and a red blazer. I wanted to be him so bad. The show itself was very clean, tight, without a lot of extra solos or improv. The lighting was dark, with lots of backlighting. That made a lot of songs like Moving in Stereo and Dangerous Type kind of gloomy and brooding. The songs all sounded exactly the same as the album. The band really didn't interact much with the crowd outside of a few thank yous and song intros. I was right in front of Rick all night, and I don't think he ever moved. Elliot Easton was the only one who moved around much, mostly during his solos. His guitars and Hawk synth playing really stood out for me. I remember the next day reading a concert review in the Seattle Times, and the reviewer said, they may as well put up cardboard cutouts of the band on stage and just played the record. It was a pretty apt analogy. Regardless, I'd pay plenty to see that set again. It was one of my favorite concerts I ever went to, mostly because of the adventure and the fact that I loved this band. Rick was a bit of a hero for me. I related to him more than any other modern artist. What a songwriter. What a real American treasure. Oh. Wow. Steve, did you ever see the cars? No, I I had a chance. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. My mom back then had sort of like you know, it's like a like a a Roman Caesar's attitude towards giving me permission to go to concerts. It was so random whether I'd get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. <laughs> I was going to say, are and we going to bread no, and circuses here? What's happening? You, you just never know. You, I'd ask her, can I go to see ACDC? And she'd be like, yeah, okay. And they're like, can I go see the cars? No. Huh. Where's the parenting there? The cars would have been the much safer show. <laughs> I, I still don't think I've regained all my hearing from that ACDC show. <laughs> but I remember the cars were touring, and it was, I believe, if it wasn't – the Heartbeat City Tour, I'm not sure what it was, but that feels like about the right time. We would have been seniors. And she shot for it that. down. Yeah, we would have been seniors in high school in the Heartbeat City Tour. Yeah, she shot it down. She was just like, you know, my time was up for a no, and that was the only shot because they didn't tour no. all that much, and they and a lot of bands never got down to Florida. So, no. Thank you, Mom. Thanks a lot. Well, I'll get you some cardboard cutouts, and we can we can stay. Yeah, that, that would be good. So, Brad, where do you think the cars fit in in the pantheon of 80s music stars? Uh, they're pretty high up my list, and that's the only list that I really care about, gentle listener, frankly, at me, if you must. But I think that they had a series of albums that, again, they started in the 70s, not denying it, obviously, but from the cars to Candio to Panorama to Shake It Up to Heartbeat City, that might not be the best run of five albums, but it's a pretty remarkable run. I, I won't say there's no bad songs on any of those albums, but they're few and far between. They burned hot and they brought the goods. What I remember most about them, thinking back, I, I remember I owned Heartbeat City and then the self-titled first time. I don't think I owned any of the middle ones. I, I was one of those people who was a, a radio-friendly fan of the mm-hmm. band. And the only other thing I remember was that they had their own MTV contest where if you won, I believe they played like your backyard party. 
I think that was another thing I got like zapped into not being allowed to enter either. <laughs> so no, no cars would play. We didn't have much of a backyard, but we had like a screened in pool, but the, the cars would not be playing 2959 Maple Court in Palm Harbor that year. So I'm picturing your neighbor winning and they're like, I don't know who showed up, but there's this big truck of people at 2960. Help me next door, mom. <laughs> Yeah. So my top 10 list of car songs would be very predictable and anticlimactic. But Brad, your list of top 10 car songs has got to be fairly epic. So are you willing to reveal that now to the um, 80s nation in, in hopes of maybe providing a little bit of closure? Steve, nothing would please me more. I've been honing this list since the news broke, so... I hope you enjoy it. I tried to spread it out across all of their albums and pick a little bit of everything. Shall we get started? Let's go. Okay. Oh, let's go. I like that. (laughs) In true Stuck in the 80s form, I'm going to start with an honorable mention, Blue Tip from Move Like This. So what can you do? This is the first song on their 2011, I hesitate to call it a comeback album, but it's kind of a comeback album. It was great. I loved the album. When it came out, I was really surprised and happy and bought it and listened to it and yeah, happy to hear this song again. I mean, it feels like a, hey, we still got it track to a certain extent. It really kind of harkens back to the old cars, if you will. You know, fun, barely sensible lyrics, check. Tight, minimal drumming, <laughs> check. Guitars and synths living alongside each other in perfect harmony. Check. Maybe the rest of the album isn't quite everything you wanted, but that doesn't mean we should punish the tracks that do work. And I think this track works. I agree. So what makes the actual top 10 list then? Okay, let's start it up with number 10. Give me some slack from Panorama. I want to say Steve, you know me well enough to know that I am a sucker for a catchy, wonky lyric, and Okasik nails it for me. He works Euripides into the lyrics for this song. <laughs> Who is Euripides? Euripides. Steve? Who is Euripides, you ask? I'd expect yes. a sad fellow like you to know. He's one of the premier Greek tragic dramatists of the classical period. Of course. I have said before that the car songs are deceptively depressing. You, you think of them as being this happy, chirpy band, but mm. most of the songs I love best are not. Yeah. So there's a lot of angst to be had, a lot of teen angst. But I mean, that's not all that's that's not all that's here in this song. It just it comes at you like a hot lap at the raceway. You know, David Robinson just comes in with this full throttle drumming coming at you the whole time and it it drives this song what's next on the list brad next on the list think it over from shake it up 
I've already given you my my deep and abiding love for the album Shake It Up, but this song shows off what I think is one of the, the truly underappreciated strengths of the cars. It opens with this just layering of instruments and voices. You've got the synth, the bass, the drums, guitars, you know, then Benjamin Orr's vocals come in. It just feels like five guys are having a great time, enjoying the moment, having fun playing together. Nobody's trying to outplay anybody. Everyone's doing their part to drive the whole thing along. And they're just they're just inviting you in, like, come in, come into the band. It's just a fun, tightly crafted group project that's working. All of their best tunes have that quality. I mean, that is that is the essential DNA of a great car song. Am I wrong? I would agree with that. You don't ever hear about the guitar player for the cars quitting because he doesn't feel like there's enough focus on him in the band. Correct. What's number eight on the list, Brad? Number eight, You Are the Girl from Door to Door. I love this song. This is a first, a happy song, which is nice to have in my life every once in a while. And it's just so catchy. I, every time I hear this song, I I hit repeat, and I'll play it at least two or three times in a row. Yeah, so this is the lead single from their 1987 kind of last hurrah album, Door to Door. I think you're right. And it's also a throwback to the work before Heartbeat City. You know, Heartbeat City had all this synth layering and sound effects and just all this kind of stuff going on the audio soundscape and rick took over production duties for door to door for mutt lang and he's just he stripped it all back down right and so this has a just a real straight ahead sound that would have fit in with their first couple albums i have to ask you have you seen the video for this it's a little kooky yeah I actually I have it on a list I've been putting together for a future podcast music videos set on bad spaceships. <laughs> it it is it is very weird. It's directed by John Waters. The video takes place on a spaceship. When I say bad, I mean silly looking. It's crewed by the band, and you know they're tooling around the galaxy, and the Earth is destroyed in a nuclear barrage, which. Basically, rather than worrying about, oh dear, what's happened to my mutant friends, they're just worried about finding dates. By 1987, I expect better from my, I mean, aren't we at the age, this, this is, I think 87 is about the time, or I think 86 is when Peter Gabriel's So comes out and changes basically music videos forever. Yeah. So it's kind of um, campy in a way, is, is that the right word yeah, I'm using for, I, the, for I, the cars to kind I, of go... Retro, in a way. I think that's John Waters bringing the Watersness. The spaceship full of female extraterrestrials that they find, how can you tell they're female extraterrestrials, is everything you would want and, and less in a female extraterrestrial. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what's number seven on the list? Okay, number seven, I'm going to pick something off of Okasik's first solo album, Beatitude, Jimmy Jimmy. Don't you wanna think about nothing? 
I adore this song, and, and I'm not going to lie. When I heard Okasek had died, I put the song on, and suddenly I was just sitting in the chair weeping. Talk about what makes Brad in L.A. cry. You know, Katie came downstairs, and she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, it just sounds ridiculous, but Rick Okasek died, and I'm kind of upset about it. Wow. Yeah. As fond as I am of his second solo album, This Side of Paradise, Beatitude is just cooler than anything else I've found on his solo work. I know we've talked about this track before. I think back in the mid-300s, we did a Rockers Gone Solo episode where I talked about Okasek. I love the kind of airiness of the vocoder background vocals and the almost spoken word beat poetry feel to the lyrics of this song. This is not a song I'm all that familiar with, but oh, so I'm going to have to play this a few times and you get need used to check to. this one out. I, I promise I will. I chuckled when you said episode 350. I'm like, so 350. Were we still back in college then? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I was single. <laughs> yeah. Okasek's lyrics in this song just convey, somehow capture all the angst of a brooding teenager, in spite of the fact that Okasek was 38 when this song came out. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Okay, let's move on. What was number six on your list of the uh, top 10 songs by the Cars or Rick Okasik? Number six, this is not going to be any surprise from a guy named Brad moving in stereo from the Cars. Oh, finally. A song that I really do know all that well. Yeah. <laughs> if this list was top 10 amazing Brad moments in film history, this would be number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not. Do you ever get tired of people doing that to you? Like, I mean, let's face it. Brad is an important name in, in Fast Times Ridgemont High, and I know I do it to you all the time. No, it's but great. surely at some point you must, you must be really tired of people dropping uh, – the Brad lines from Phoebe Cates on you. Oh, yeah, because that's just such a horrible memory to call back to. Please never <laughs> do that less than 10 times a day when you see me. The thing that I will say, Steve, is that nobody f- knocks anymore. It's slow and deliberate. It's a lot slower than you think it is. And it's about as dreamy as New Wave ever got. I have no idea what they're talking about when Benjamin Orr sings, Life's the same except for my shoes. But this song is damn near perfect. God, I don't know what that means. I'm, I've never really pondered that line until now. I life's think that just means life is the shoes. same. If all I did was change my shoes, then life is the same. Okay, I'm, I'll go with it. You know, this this is a song that I remember hearing from the first time before Fast Times came out, obviously, because it predates it. Sure. And not, I didn't get it at all. Like, it, it just it didn't connect with me in the least when I first heard it. And then, of course, Fast Time comes out, and now it's... It's the song that launched a thousand puberties, you know? (laughs) That's the song that launched a thousand tapes getting burned out on that one spot. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, we're down to the top five. What is number five on Bradley's list of uh, the top cars and Rick of Cassock songs? Number five, My Best Friend's Girl from the Cars.
This is peppy. I'm, I'm surprised to see this on your list. <laughs> uh, you know, we got to have a couple up-tempo numbers so we'll lose the audience. This has, you know, more patented cars, lyrical shenanigans. I keep looking for nuclear boots and trip-dry gloves for the cruise, but I haven't found them yet. But I'm pretty sure TSA would confiscate them if you tried to bring them on. Yeah, you're probably right. We're almost in a minute into this song before the other shoe drops that she used to be mine, which is the, that's the whole song right there. Believe it or not, this song is not a sequel to Jesse's Girl. Unlike that song, Okasik said, my best friend's girl was not based on personal experience. He just figured having a girlfriend stolen was probably something that happened to a lot of people. I also love this song because it opens with hand claps. I love songs with hand claps. I can't explain it. Yes, you do. And it, it features a fine Easton Elliott rockabilly guitar lick in between verses. I, I've got to wonder, is, is, does your connection to this song have anything to do with um, a personal loss? Have you ever uh, lost a girlfriend to another guy? Um I've been the guy that Rick Okasek was singing about. You stole a girl from some other guy? Steal is an ugly word, Steve. Steal is an ugly word. One of my closest friends in Pilford. high school. Consider, consider that the dating pool is a little smaller in a small town, but one of my friends was dating this girl. They broke up. I didn't steal her. You just her. you checked out the book next from the library. <laughs> you know... <laughs> This is why I probably shouldn't use names because that just sounds horrible. But essentially, yes, I dated her after he dated her. And then he was mad at me. Like I had done something wrong. And I'm like, dude, no, you broke up with her. It's, you know, all Did fair. Did he say why you broke up with her? Do you remember why you broke up with her? No, was I really don't. a good don't. reason at least? I don't. I really don't. <laughs> it just wasn't working out, don't, I guess. <laughs> don't you commit these, these, these personal... <laughs> If only I had like, thought, you know, what was this, like 30-something years ago? If only I had thought, I should take some notes on this. I should journal this so that I can speak intelligently it, about it in 2019. It's not a journal thing. Like, whenever I had something traumatic happen to me, it's one of those things that— It wasn't I mean, traumatic for I, me. I, I, I got was, a girlfriend. <laughs> well, I guess. I don't know. But your friend was mad at you. I, yeah, I he was. Maybe. It recovered. The, the friendship recovered eventually. Okay. That's all that matters. Okay, so— We've explored that far enough. Uh, oh, good. Number four hits the same theme. Go ahead, Brad. What's number four on your list? It's not an uncommon theme for the cars. Number four, Looking for Love from Heartbeat City. This is my first entry from Heartbeat City, uh, where we first see new producer Mutt Lang, who you might have heard of. He's done some other work. Yes. Big on synth layer, right? Right. Big on synthesizers. But when the guitar arrives on Looking for Love, it's just this clean, clear line, and it, it drifts atop that ethereal synth bed like delicious pepperoni scattered across all that electronic cheese. Oh, God, great. Now oh. I'm just hungry. I was thirsty before. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. The, the harmonies in this chorus are as tight as ever, and the guitar solo is as laid back as any I can find. We must have been young to imagine that saying, come on, lover, I'll do it fast, was a good idea. Uh, maybe he's talking about something else. I don't know. I couldn't imagine I was busy stealing people's girlfriends. Yeah, I'm still kind of shook up about that. Okay, here we go. 
we're down to the home stretch here. What's number three on the list? Number three is Cruiser from Shake It Up. You come tonight because you're the cruiser. Cars built an empire on Lost Loves and Rick Ocasek's quirky delivery, and this song has neither. Mm. Benjamin Orr takes the lead vocal on this ode to one of the favorite pastimes of my youth, other than stealing girlfriends, driving around with my friends. I don't know. Was that a thing in Florida? Did you um, cruise Maine? or No. Like If you did that, you went down to Clearwater Beach, and okay. that, which was kind of a hike from where I lived, and Practical Spearsy. Doesn't like to take a hike. Gas costs money, Brad. Yeah, it's like this stuff doesn't grow on trees. So I, I didn't do it all that often. It, <laughs> it seemed like a long way to go. And uh, even though I had a worthy car, I, I didn't do it. Yeah. Well, in, in the Weatherford, Oklahoma, cruising Main Street on a Friday night, looking for cars full of friends or, or maybe even a car full of girls. Somebody else's Ooh. girls, even. Uh, you know, you're not being totally discriminating. If you could get some girls to talk to, you were going to talk to them. Right. If you could get them to follow you into a parking lot and, and talk to them for five minutes, even if no one ever got out of the car, that was enough to talk about the rest of the night and most of the next week. I mean, if you listen to this song closely enough, you can almost smell the asphalt. Let me ask you this. It, do you think that listening to the cars, do you, do you think liking cars music is a quality that, that women back in the 80s would have appreciated like if you would said hey baby we're gonna put on a heartbeat city do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing generally i mean you'd obviously you'd want them to like it but in reality did they i want to say no um hmm i I, well i think i don't know i i think that given the the narrow spectrum of nerd rock that i listened to and and synthesizer dork music that i liked this is probably the closest I was going to get to something that some female might be interested in listening to. <laughs> God, that's just a lot. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just telling you how it is, Steve. Okay, I'm just. I know, I'm just, I know who I am. I trying, know who I was. I'm just trying to probe the uh, your character, which you know I previously had never found flaws in until tonight. So, um, until you started dating the librarian. Is what we'll call her. Deeply troubling. Yeah. Okay, we're down to the last two. What is the number two song on your list? These are the first ones I put on the list, to be honest. Number two is Dangerous Type from Candy O. This song to me sounds like anything but a car song at times. It, it, it just, fits well in Candio, oh. but it doesn't. There's something about it when I hear it today, like you never hear this song played, not even on Sirius XM. I don't know. I mean, it just, it's so cool. It is. It just has this coolness that's just coming out of every 
bar of it. It's got this great balance of the drumming in the cars kind of, I don't know that anybody ever talks about it, but it's so metered and so precise. And it just is this fantastic base for everything to build up on top of the guitars, the synths, the music kind of slowly fills up the space between your ears when you're listening to it. And by the time it's going full bore ahead, you know, Rick Ocasek is so damn cool. He can convince a girl to spend time with him, even though all he does is compare her to another woman the whole time. Huh. Interesting. She's a lot like you, the dangerous type. Yeah. That's what I use to steal my friends' girlfriends. <laughs> Jeez. I got to be careful. Okay, so we've obviously left out a song that I know everybody is from the 80s loves and adores and cherishes. In the suspense, what was your number one song? There can be no question, Steve. The number one song is Drive from Heartbeat City. You can't go on thinking nothing's wrong. I can barely stand to listen to this, Steve. It's the saddest car song ever, and now it's even sadder. The video is what gets me every time. And I didn't know much about it until the other day when I decided to uh, consult ye old Google. I found out that it was directed by actor Timothy Hutton. Huh. Everybody kind of knows this was the movie where Rick met Paulina, and they would later get married. But as the story goes... I guess Timothy Hutton was friends with one of the band's managers. He got to hear the song before anybody else did. All these ideas came into his mind for what what the video would be about, what what, what some of the imagery would be. And so he was just kind of spitballing and and told the manager, "Hey, you know, here's what, if I were doing this video, here's how I would do it." And she passed that information along to Rick, and Rick basically said, "Let him do it." So that video, which is just iconic of the 80s, yeah. was directed by Timothy Hutton. And you make a, a, a small jump from this. You know, obviously, Timothy Hutton and, and Rick became friends, which led to, to Rick being cast in the movie Made in Heaven, starring Timothy Hutton. He plays a garage mechanic, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know that he's got more than... You love this movie. I do love, love this, movie. this movie. I do love this movie. I don't know that Rick has more than maybe one line, and it might be a one word, one line, or it might just be a glare. It's It's been forever <laughs> since I've seen this movie. Tom Petty's in it as well. He has a cameo. A much better role, but Rick plays a greasy old mechanic, and it's it's... It's a fun movie if you ever want to to go back in time and enjoy a classic that with a cameo from from Rick Kasich, there it is. Well, it's a f- fantastic list. I don't know what you missed. I'm sure our readers would love to tell us. So if if there's a song you think we left off our list, please email us at podcast at sits.com. Send us the song and tell us why. Exactly. We find ourselves at the end of the road with the cars, but maybe it's like Doc Brown says. Where we're going, we don't need roads. The legacy of Rick Ocasek and the Cars is more than just their music. It's also their attitude. Ocasek somehow managed to epitomize both quirky and cool. A lanky introvert 
who never seemed to warm to the fame that came his way, spending his energy making sure that the band's performances did justice to their meticulous arrangements instead of working on his dance moves. And now that Rick is gone, all we have is their music. But what music, my friends? What painstakingly crafted, carefully produced, and lovingly presented music it is. As the killer's Brendan Flowers said when inducting the cars into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they achieved greatness and left a comet trail behind them, writing and recording songs that have transcended into classics. And now we are left to feel the sting of that comet's departure, gone from this world and on to the next. On the day before he passed away, Rick doodled a final sketch, which was discovered the next day by his sons. The doodle was an abstract red and black shape with checkerboard and crisscross hatching and included three lines of text. It is what it is. Never forget that look and keep on laughing. All I can say to that is, we'll try, Rick. The laughter might be a little slow to return, but we'll never forget you, your look, or your sound. Rest in peace, Rick Okasik. Thanks for the music, the videos, and especially the memories. In closing, to borrow lyrics from Looking for Love, from one tall geeky kid to another, keep the faith and kill the light.